quite hard to follow Denise's little talk and there's lots to think about in there. And we just pray that God's peace would be with us. But there's a story of a man who um, was driving late at night and he breaks down on the side of the road in the countryside and as it often happens, it starts to rain. So um, he looks at his car wheel and finds out he's got a flat tyre and so he tries to fix it but goes to the boot of his car and realises that he hasn't got a jack. So he goes back to his car and sits and ponders for a while. And then in the distance he sees some lights and thinks, well, shall I go and um, inquire whether they've got a jack? But they're going to think it's a bit weird me um, knocking on the door this late at night. They're probably going to think I'm a bit of a fool, a bit of an idiot, not having a mobile phone with me or not having a jack in the car or um, whatever they may think. I wonder what they will really think of me. So he sits there and ponders and says, shall I go or shan't I go? And then he thinks, he, he probably won't even open the door to me. And what a selfish act that, that will be. I'm here stuck in the rain, in my car broken down, and he won't open the door to me. But he eventually gets out of the car, wanders to the house, and uh, knocks on the door. And the person shouts out from the window above, hello, can I help you? And he goes, Yes, of course you can help me. I've been broken down in a car for the last half an hour. Don't you know that I've been sat there? Don't you know what I've been through? Yes, you may think I'm an idiot for not having a jack in the car to fix the tyre or a mobile phone or not um, signed up to the RAC or AA, but you don't know what day I've had. And I only borrowed the car so I could get out quickly. And in fact, you've got a really bad attitude. You know, and even if you had the last jack in the world, I wouldn't borrow it from you. So you can keep your jack and I'm off. Bye. Oh, do call again then. And I guess we've had or played those thought games with ourselves. We think what the other person's going to think. We think about a situation and we assume all sorts of different scenarios, how that scenario will pan out. And we worry and we get anxious about many different situations that in reality don't ever happen. We play that guessing game with ourselves. And I'll probably go one step further. I have a conversation with myself in my mind and, and then I ask my wife about something and she knows nothing about what I've been thinking about. And I have to fill her in. So we all have our own ways of um, thinking about things. But I wonder how often do we really think about what we think about? In this confusing world that we live in, I think we need to learn to think about what we think about, which is the title of this sermon. Do we really think about what we think about? In reality, we can't control the weather. We can't control how many miles my car will do on a tank of petrol. We don't know who's going to win the premiership or how, lockdown will lo or how long lockdown will last. One of the only things that we can control in our lives are the thoughts that we think. Thoughts are like planes circling in our minds. We can have good thoughts and we can have difficult thoughts. We can have bad thoughts. And some thoughts were good in the beginning, but end up being bad at the end. But what we can do is think about what we think about. Choose what thoughts land on our runway of life. Choose what thoughts we allow to 
offload their cargo into our hearts and into our minds. We have the choice of what we ponder on. We have the choice to what situations we meditate on and how we respond. Our minds are full of good and bad thoughts. Take this glass of juice. The juice at the bottom represents our evil thoughts, our evil minds. And the jug represents God's love, God's purity, God's promises, God's hope in our lives. And we can come to church or we can read God's word occasionally and we can, we can put a few drops in there. And it will take a long time to dilate our poor thoughts into God's thoughts. But God, by his grace, keeps pouring his love into our lives. But we constantly have to look to God to fill our minds with God's grace and God's love. I could pour it in and it could overflow everywhere and make a mess. But there would still be some thoughts. And the more messy our lives get, as the more we allow God into our lives, the more we need to think about God's purpose for us and God's promises to us. Paul puts it like this when he wants us to turn on the taps and to have our lives overflowing with God's thoughts. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul reminds us that he doesn't just want a few drops of God's word into our lives, into our minds. He wants us to keep pouring God's word into our lives in whatever way possible, to fill our minds with whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, Whatever it is, Paul wants his listeners to fill their minds with the thoughts of God so there is no space for the thoughts of the evil one. But do we really think about what we think about? In her book, The Inner Castle, St. Teresa of Avil in 1577 writes in encouraging her nuns in their prayer life to make the distinction in our thoughts between logic and imagination, which I think is helpful when we're talking about what we think about. Paul picks up on this idea as well. In the NLT version of Philippians 4 verse 8, it says, fix your thoughts. And the word fix comes from the word logismia, which, is, which we derive the word logic from. In our thoughts, in our lives, there's this battle going on between our logical minds and our imagination, good and evil. I always remember climbing to the top of the 10-metre board at the old leisure centre and looking over the edge. Logic said, jump. Hundreds of people have done it before, but when you look down on the edge of the diving board, it's a long way down and your imagination takes over. What happens if all the water runs out before I get to the bottom? How much will it hurt me 
if I jump in the wrong way? If I jump down too far, will I be able to swim back to the top of the surface? In this confusing and anxious world, we need to slow down, allow God and his word to overcome our anxieties, to let the logic and truth of God's word to bring us peace. We may feel distant from God this morning, but God's word reminds us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that we can cast all our anxieties onto him, that God's peace will guide us and protect us. In the word, it says, do not be afraid. And that's repeated 365 times, which reminds us, that God says to each one of us, don't be afraid each day and his word will protect us and lead us and guide us if we trust in the logic of God's word. However, we can't let logic run our lives, a bit like Dr. Um, Spock in Star Trek. If we're all logic, then we're not what God wanted us to be. Imagination gives us life and hope. Imagination enables us to take steps of faith when all logic says don't do it, but God says do it. People wouldn't have travelled to the moon or invented the light bulb or cracked the enigma code if they relied on logic alone. Someone had to take that step of faith to say that life can change and things can be different. They had to think differently, think outside their norm, think outside what logic would say. In Proverbs 4.23, in the NCV version, it says, be careful what you think because your thought life runs your life. Whatever we think, whatever we ponder on, has an effect in what we do and how we act. We have thought sayings like, I had to think long and hard before I made a decision. Someone might say of our dreams, oh, that's just wishful thinking. Or in the olden days, they used to say, a penny for your thoughts. Thomas More wrote in 1522, it often happeneth that the very face sheweth the mind walking a pilgrimage in such wise that other folk suddenly say to them, a penny for your thought. My old English is not great, but the Edinburgh is a penny for your thought. In those days, a penny was worth a lot of money. And so therefore, someone walking on a pilgrimage, their thought life was really precious to them, and people valued thinking time. Not many of us today have the opportunity to go on a pilgrimage and think and ponder. We rush through life. We've been described as, a, as the fragile generation. We rush and make decisions and don't take time to think about those decisions. It's easy to send an email and ping it off. In the past, you had to write a letter, compose your thoughts and put your thoughts to paper and it took time to compose a letter. The problem today, I would suggest, is that we have too much information and not enough time to think. We heard the story last week of the soldier that took his New Testament and prayer into the battlefields. 
No mobile, no internet, no Xbox, no um, Nintendo Switch, no TikTok, whatever it is, was left behind. But I wonder, would we be content today just to have a copy of the New Testament and prayer to be our guide? Would we be happy with everything that was stripped away, that we would be left with God alone? But if we think it's down to us to change the way that we think, the way that we act, then we'll never make it. Paul never made right choices. He persecuted the early church. And he refused to accept or even acknowledge Jesus until he met him face to face. So what changed in Saul's life to Paul? What changed in Peter, who blundered his way through his discipleship training with Jesus? What changed in his life at Pentecost? They were both filled with the Holy Spirit, which gave them power and wisdom to walk in God's ways. Jesus went to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come and be our comforter to be our helper, to guide us here on earth. John 16, 13 says, But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. And in Romans 8, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, through wordless groans. And in Romans 9, speak the truth in Christ, or I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to think well and to act well in life. When we're thinking about what we're thinking about, Paul starts his list with whatever is true. Paul's not wanting us to hold an opinion of whether something is true or not true, or whether we like something. But he wants his people to ponder on the real truth, the truth of God. In John 14 it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul is encouraging his followers to think about truth, the truth of God's word, which is unchanging, that never changes. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth that Jesus is still the way and the truth and the life is still true today. Jesus died, rose again, and we'll celebrate communion later. And the truth of that is still true when it was first celebrated, and it's still true today. That Jesus rose and loves each one of us and died for each one of us. But that truth tries to get taken away from us. We have this battle with the devil who tries to steal truth from us, that God loves us because he loves us, that we are adopted into his family and we are a new creation in Christ. 
but the devil plays on our imagination. Is that really true? Does God really hate those that don't love him? Are we ever too far from him? Yes, you are. But we learned the other week, God is always reaching out to us, as in that picture in the Sistine Chapel. God is always closer than we think, wanting to reach out to us. But so many people have convinced themselves in their minds and in their thoughts that it can't possibly be true. We don't need God. There is a different way to live without God and without Jesus in our lives. The devil takes that truth that Jesus is alive from them. And it's hard to hold on to this truth and rejoice always, which is why we need God's spirit and God's word to counteract all that this world wants to throw at us, all that the devil wants to throw at us to steal that truth. In the wilderness, Jesus was tempted, but he used the truth of God's word to stand firm against the devil. And if we are to grow as Christians, we need to meditate on God's word, the truth of God's word. Let God's water fill our glass and overflow and purify us with the knowledge of his love and his grace in our lives. And so whatever is right, that is the right thing to do, dwell on God's truth each and every day. Next, Paul says, whatever is noble. It's not a word that we probably use that much today. I don't know whether you associate nobility with the royal family, but God's word reminds us when we come into his family that we become a royal priesthood. We become nobility. And with nobility comes responsibility. What noble characteristics do we see in ourselves? What noble characteristics do other people see in us? Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all. Noble thinking means acting in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of these qualities we would want to see in a king. And as God's children, he wants those qualities to be seen in us. We are to think about them. Before we act this week, ponder whether our actions, what we're thinking about, are of noble characteristics. Whatever is pure, we can sometimes struggle with thinking pure thoughts, godly thoughts. A goldsmith, when he's refined gold, can see his own reflection in the gold when he knows it's completely pure. Do people see, do people see something of God in us? Are we pure in heart and mind and thought? And I have to confess that my mind is not always pure. My motives are not always pure. But God's word reminds us to confess our sins, to be open and honest with God. For he's a God who loves us by his grace and not one who condemns us. But he doesn't want those poor thoughts left in our minds without us having the opportunity to say that we're sorry, to turn to God and repent, and his grace and his love cover over a multitude of sins.
whatever is lovely. Think about that. Someone, the last time I preached, sent me a card and a couple of people sent me texts and an email. And those are lovely things to think about as people support you. But if you were to think again today of a lovely thought, how would it lift your spirits? How would it free your mind? Think about what is lovely. Paul says, whatever is admirable. We can all remember um, Captain Tom doing his walk, and that's an admirable thing to do. He had very little, but what he had, he put it into practice, and he raised millions for the NHS. However, we can all be admirable people just by being there for somebody. Weirs of church have been a real blessing to Crawley and this world simply by being ad- doing the admirable thing. How can we think admirable thoughts today? Paul goes on to say, whatever is excellent. I think Paul is saying, don't give up. Give it your best, your excellent best. There is a joy in completing something excellently to the best of your abilities, not to somebody else's abilities. The songs that people put together are excellent because people try their best. We need to think excellent thoughts. And it says, whatever is praiseworthy, performing teams at work need six times more praise than they do one negative thought to perform at their best. How often do we think praiseful thoughts? How often do we jump in without thinking how the other person will receive our comments? Are our comments always praiseworthy or are they negative? How will the person receive them? It's not to say that we shouldn't avoid the difficult situations or conversations, but we should think praiseworthy thoughts of the other person before we speak to them. And I would say thanksgiving falls under praiseworthy thoughts. The more we thank God for God's blessings in our lives, the more it will turn to praise. Be grateful and thankful for all God has blessed you with. So, this week, think about what you think about. Take time to slow down, to think what you're thinking about. However, we can't live in our thought lives forever. Paul says, whatever we've learned, put into practice. So as we've pondered, or as you ponder this week, how to think Godly thoughts, what is right, what is pure, what is loving. Put them into practice. And God's word reminds us, as Denise reminds us, that the peace of God will be with you. Amen.